Yes, Ephesians chapter 5. The reason why I'd selected to do the baby dedication after the sermon is, is because I wanted to preach the sermon in alliance and in uh, correlation with the baby dedication because I feel like it's always good to have reminders preached to us as Christians, as the church. First and foremost, how our lives are to be composed in general, but also when we bring that down into more of a, a micro viewpoint when it comes to the household and parents and to children and things like that because scripture does instruct us on all of this but once again i do want to go through and making sure that we understand once again how scripture is laid out especially when we look at these epistles we look at these writings from paul in particularly ephesians as well i've, I've spoken to you guys and said this that when you read first through the first few chapters of ephesians and you'll find this once again through the other epistles like galatians and all of that Paul is giving us a layout of what's referred to as indicative. So these first three chapters, indicatives are basically speaking about and talking about who we are as Christians, right? Just to remind us, remind us who we are in Jesus Christ. It's an, an encouraging thing for us to read. Sometimes it can pose as a reminder as well, our freedom in Christ, Jesus' grace, his mercy over our lives, walking in the spirit, walking in love and all that stuff right? Like, it's a great reminder for us. And then with these indicatives go into what's called imperatives, commands, if you will. And we can't really hold too much of a heavy weight when we hear that word. We tend to do that when it, when it says commands. But we do have to treat them seriously because if we are saying and claiming that we are this, it is by the imperatives and the commands that are laid out for us that we should then be displaying that identity, right? I mean, this is just practical in our living. I mean, we can go around all day and say that we're a nurse. We can go around all day and say that we're a law enforcement officer, a farmer, whatever. But there has to be a living out of that as well to show what it is that we are indicating that we are. Does that make sense to you guys? So when you read through, especially a book like Ephesians, Paul is going to lay out the indicatives, who we are as Christians, that we read and we're like, oh, what a great reminder, right? It's encouraging for us to hear this, to read this. And then what does that look like since we are saying that we are this, or since we are claiming and believing that we are this? So as I preach this message to you guys today, remember, I'm preaching to people that say they are Christian, it's kind of this beautiful defense to Paul. Paul says it throughout the, the church of Corinth. He's like, I speak to you as wise people. Like, I'm not here to, to knock you down. I'm speaking to you who claim to be these people. So you really can't debate and argue with them, right? Like, remember, you're the one that professed this faith. You're the one that said you are in Christ and Christ is in you. So with that proclamation, that truth being established, this is what it looks like. Remember that, okay? So we're going to go through this. And once again, this is a, this is a, a preaching and a teaching that is convicting. It's, it's encouraging. It's convicting for me as a, as a man to, to read, especially as Paul is teaching about life as, as um, Christians, life in a Christian household. But what I want to make sure that I do, though, as we kind of view this, this chapter, especially Ephesians 5, is Paul is speaking to what we should be looking like as a church in general to one another. And we come across this word submission. 
And let's be honest, in our culture today, it's a word that doesn't ring very well in our ears. Especially as we'll go into when it comes to the households, and I've preached on this when we've gone through our marriage series about women submitting to their husbands and stuff like that. We're going to break that word down a little bit more today. But once again, even as a church, it's a military term that was used to basically say that we should come up under one another. That means we could be at strife with one another, we could be in conflict with one another. But as far as we're concerned, as far as I'm concerned in this matter, there's a calling to submit. Now the reason why that this is a problem in our culture is when we hear submit, we think of the word inequality. Like, okay, if I submit to Aaron in a dispute or if I submit to Wyatt, everyone else might think that I'm claiming that I'm not as equal to them. When we speak about this in the household, about wives submitting unto their husbands, culture will sit there, people outside of the church will say, well, wait a minute, are you trying to say that your wife isn't equal to you? That's not what Paul's saying one bit. Paul is simply sitting there to remind for the grace, the sake, the peace, the bond, the unity of the church We're called to love others first because we were loved first by Jesus Christ. And that grace is then called to be lived out. Remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians remind us of this. But what we can easily do in our culture, what's pushed and pressed to us, and I hear it all the time, and guys, I'm going to stand up here and say that I can struggle with it as well. What is the mindset, what is the, the curriculum for how we treat others in regards to being kind to them? Well, if they're kind to me... Finish the sentence. I'll be kind back. But if they hurt me, finish the sentence. I'll hurt them back. Right. They shouldn't do that to me, therefore I wouldn't do that to them. Guys, we see it all the time. You had social media, watch the news. So once again, we have these indicatives of who we are in Christ, but now Paul is speaking about well, what does that look like then for you, the Christian? And more so than anything, why is this valuable to us as Christians to live in such a way? Why? Because it shows a world that is all about self, all about pride, all about agenda, who Jesus Christ is in the midst of it. It truly does. You want to squash an issue? You want to squash a problem? Be peaceable. And once again, that doesn't ring well with our ears, with our flesh. Because once again, we can easily step back, and we've talked about this before, where people go, well, does that mean that I'm called to be a doormat for people? That's not what I'm saying. But the question needs to be posed, and the challenge needs to be posed to you guys as well. Do you even step in the realm of being peaceable with people? Because in your flesh, your automatic default is going to be what? I've got to let them know that they've done me wrong. I got to be the one to show this to people. I got to display this to people. When in actuality, as Christians, as we talked about last week, your calling, God's will on your life is to shine His light in a dark world that so desperately needs to see it. So Paul is laying that out for us throughout Ephesians, especially the last half of Ephesians. But I love what he does because he takes that image and now he's going to shrink it down to what does that look like within the home? What does it look like within the household? 
You know, we're going to be doing baby dedications today. And my wife and I, you know, I, I want to make sure that I speak and say this to you guys as a pastor. This isn't us standing up here, you know, baptizing babies. This isn't up here saying that when these babies are being dedicated, that they are then saved. We're not teaching that. What we're doing is, is these are parents that are coming up here in front of a body together as a family to sit here and say, as far as I'm concerned, in my walk, in my faith, the world may be falling apart. But in our home, in the way that we raise our kids, we are raising them in the ways of the Lord. God never had grandchildren. So you could be in here saved. That doesn't mean indirectly that your children are saved. But what can you do as a parent that knows the Lord? Raise them up in the ways of the Lord. And that doesn't just mean read this to them. It doesn't just mean know this to them. It means living this to them especially if you're married. Your marriage is going to be the most beautiful example of the gospel of Jesus Christ than anything else these kids are going to see. And Paul's going to hit on that as well. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. But once again, in the midst of that imperfect marriage, is there grace being shown? Is there forgiveness being shown? Is there mercy? You see how these are the same attributes of the gospel? what Jesus did for you. And I love it because Paul, throughout all of his letters, guess who he talks to? He talks to the leaders. He points to the leaders because they're the ones that are accountable for the people under them. And he does not change his tune when he's speaking to the household. Who do you think he's pointing the finger at? The men, the fathers. He's talking about wives. He goes into that. But he is going to break down and show how men set the stage for love in the home for wives to be submissive to them as they would be unto the Lord. And we're going to break that down as well because I think as a church, especially in past generations, we've really missed the message of what Paul's trying to speak there. This isn't being a dictator in the home. It's not slamming around and saying, I'm the man, you have to submit to me in the home. No, 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 no. Doesn't mean that. It means that you set the stage in love because of your reverence for God, which then your bride sees you. And in her reverence for the Lord, you are setting the stage and making it quite simple for her to come under you in submission. To go, I know my husband loves the Lord, therefore I'm going to submit unto him as I would unto the Lord. But we'll break that down even more. But I want to give you guys some scripture to make sure that you go home and, and read this week as well. Because once again... Our life as, the, as a Christian is all about living and walking in the Spirit of God. Because I can say this stuff to you right now, and I already see butt squirming in the pews. Like, man, I feel like I'm not... That's good. It's good to wrestle with this. It's good for you to stop and to evaluate where you're at in your faith. It's good to stop and say, I'm struggling with this as a person, as a man. Christ wants you to come to that place. The most dangerous place you could be as a Christian is complacency. Bless you. To sit there and say, I've got it figured out as a man. I've got it figured out as a woman. I think I'm doing pretty good in regards to this guy over here. No, God doesn't grade on curves. He's looking at you. And he wants you to pursue him. And he wants you to display him into your household. So I'm going to give you guys these verses that I just want you to write down. These, this is just simply about living life in the Spirit. Okay? This is, this is simply just living a life where you are just completely submitted to God and all that you do, you are familiar and in tune with your weaknesses as a Christian. 
That's imperative. It's not your strengths. It's your weaknesses. The things that you struggle with as a man, you bring to Christ. The things that you struggle with as a woman, you bring in Christ. You boast in Christ about. Because it's in those weaknesses that we feel Christ fully upon us. Amen? John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Jude, verse 20. No need for a chapter in that. Jude, verse 20. Romans 8, 27. And I have a few here for you from Galatians, okay? Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. And Galatians 5, verse 25. Two more passages here for you guys. Galatians 5, 25 is the last one there in Galatians. Next one is Romans 8, 14. And then the final one that I have for you guys is John chapter 3, verse 6. These are verses for you guys to read as encouragement, life in the Spirit, what that looks like, you as Christians claiming to be of Christ, Christ in you, you in Christ, wrestling with your weaknesses, coming to the Lord with your struggles and weaknesses, asking Him to fill you, to encourage you. These are passages that should be a means of that encouragement for you as a reminder for who you are as Christians, where you should be in your walk with him in regards to an everyday life. And guys, once again, this is something that I could preach and teach and push and pull on every Sunday I stand up here. Do not sit there and think because you see these things that you are struggling with that that means that you're illegitimate to the Father. It means that you need Jesus Christ in your life. You need to wrestle. You need to struggle with this. You have flesh. You have a spirit. Galatians 5.17, they battle with one another every day. And everyone in this room can say amen and ouch to both of those, right? There is a struggle and a battle every day. Regardless of where you're at, who you're around, you guys will deal with this struggle. You need to fall down to Jesus Christ every day and be with him daily. So we're going to go into Galatians 5. We're going to look at verse 21 to start. So remember what I just said in regards to Christians, that's how we should be to one another, submission to one another, walking in love, walking in the spirit. Paul is now going to narrow that down to the instruction for Christian households. Okay. Verse 21 starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's letting us know right out of the gate in this verse how we are to be with one another. Submit, fall under one another. And once again, I stand up here and I know that this is a struggle for us. But once again, that struggle should be, uh, it should show our need for Christ in our everyday life. 
Ephesians 5.21. I'm going on here to verse 22. Now this is one, once again, we've preached and hit on in our marriage series. And I'm going to break it down because I want to make sure that it's understood. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Okay? Now, actually, in the Greek, the word submit's not even in there, believe it or not. But I do want to stress, it actually says wives to your own husbands as you would to the Lord. Now, they added that word submit because they know in regards to the context of what's being spoken about that that's what's being referenced and said. But once again, I want us to look at that word submit. does not mean inequality. It means a sense of falling under. And what is the gauge? This doesn't mean that your husbands are God to you. I've heard people, trust me, seven years as a pastor, I've had some pretty weird translate or some weird interpretations of the scripture be brought to me. So that mean that I'm supposed to submit to my husband like he's God? No, sorry, husbands, that's not what that means. I can't encourage such a teaching. Your husbands are not God. However, because of your reverence for God, women, there is a call for you to submit to your husband. Now remember, when we scan this out back to that macro viewpoint, we look at it and we do it in a sense to reverence to God. We do it because we know that that is our calling to God. Women, that is your calling to God is to be submissive to him. Now, if you're in a marriage or a relationship where, once again, your husband is asking you or, or demanding that you do things that aren't godly, that don't align with Scripture, once again, you're not called to submit to that. That's not what that's speaking about. But I want to make sure that we really hit this on the head. So in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Verse 24 goes on, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, now this is important because out of this whole part of the book, this is actually the only command that's truly given in the Greek. And you know what that is? Husbands, love your wives. I say it again, husbands, love your wives. This is what sets the stage for what takes place in your household in regards to the spirit, the environment, and the culture. This whole teaching is speaking to us about just the societal balance, what's best in the home. And we can see in our culture today that this is something that has really fallen to the wayside. Many of you could even say that it's been this way for generations as well where there's almost like this tier of authority in the home. And I can sit here and say and speak as a person from example in regards to my home, my late father, he wasn't a Christian, but he lived by this sense of I am God of my home and everyone falls in a line with what I say or what I do. That is not what we are called to do or be as husbands. Right out of the gate, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. How should I love my wife? He goes on to say that as well. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, let's be honest. 
We're going to start with the church. Would you guys say that the church right now is without blemish or stain? Let's be honest. We are some messed up people at times. Especially as Christians. I heard an amen from that. We struggle. And we wrestle. We know, though, that we don't use God's grace as a means to continue in that lifestyle. But for you married couples in here, let me ask the same question. Is your marriage without stain, wrinkle, or blemish? You can be honest. Mine's not. Do we have a perfect marriage? No. We have a good one. Nobody does. It's not perfect. So what is the beauty of what's being said here? Paul's letting us know that at the end of the day, the only way to pursue, to go towards Christ, to present anything without wrinkle, stain, or blemish is by living in this fashion and this way. And our only hope as a church, our only hope as married couples, is to submit unto one another as we would submit unto Jesus Christ. And here's the thing that gets me. Let's look at our lives and put that, let's match that theory. I, it's truth, but for you that maybe say it's a theory, match your life and marriage up to what Paul is saying. How do things tend to go in the church when the church isn't pursuing or looking at Christ? It's kind of a weird question, I know, because you're like, isn't that what the church is called to do? Oh, there's many places that claim to be a church that don't put Christ first. And I then now put that question over on households as well. How do marriages look, and then under that, households look, that don't put Jesus Christ first? Sure, you may have some seasons of fun and all of that. But many of you, if not all of you, can attest and say that it doesn't ever work out. It doesn't ever seem to be peaceable. It seems like everyone under the same roof is about self and pursuing the things that they want. There's fighting. There's quarreling. People are all about themselves. No one's submitting unto one another as they would submit unto the Lord. And once again, Paul is pointing the finger here, though, more so at the leaders. He's, he's speaking and pointing the finger towards the men. That's why I pick on men in this church. I hear people say it all the time, like, man, you really go after... Yeah, I do. I go after myself as well. Because it's imperative. It's biblical. It falls on us, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And I love that once again, washing her with the water through the word. Man, you're even called to lead your women in scripture, sitting with them, talking with them about scripture, having those discussions about scripture, because this is the blueprint for our lives as Christians. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Paul's going to go on here to explain why that's important. After all, no one ever hated their own body, 
but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Men, let's be honest. Everyone, let's be honest. At the end of the day, all we truly have in the physical is our bodies. The things that we participate and do in our life in some way brings a sense of satisfaction to our bodies. So what Paul is sitting here saying is, is that because, as he'll go on to, to imply and to show what's even spoken about in Genesis, when you marry someone, you are brought together as one flesh. So I know that when I'm loving my wife, I'm called to love her as I would love myself because I have to be honest with myself as a man. I don't hate my body. I don't purposely put my body through a sense of pain and anguish and distress. If anything, the focus of my days is to avoid such things. So then, why would I live in a manner to put my wife through, and I can easily do it still, and men can say amen and ouch to that as well, I don't want to put her through anguish, pain, and stress for my sake. For my sake. I want her to be at peace for the sake of Christ. Now, I put my hand up and tell you guys, am I perfect at this? Jelaine, am I, you're smiling big. Am I perfect at this? I just ticked her off yesterday about a cake. We don't want to bring up the cake. I'm not going to talk about the cake, but I ticked her off about a cake. And I'm sitting in the living room about the cake. And I have all the excuses of why she shouldn't be mad at me. And how dumb... The reasons are that she's saying why she's mad at me. Men are like, man, they must have been in my home last week. Like, she's telling me this stuff, and my flesh is screaming to me. And I'm going to tell you something. It was exhausting to sit there and to be in the Spirit. Remember these passages I just gave you. To be in the Spirit. Being in the Spirit isn't always just this sense of like, man, look at Curtis, how loving and kind he is, and da-da-da. Sometimes being in the Spirit, man, is just keeping your mouth shut for the sake of peace. How many of you struggle with that? I didn't ask women to raise their hands. It was the men. All the women were like, I struggle with that. <laughs> the point of it is this. It starts with us as men. Because guess what happened when I kept my mouth shut? No, it wasn't that. I communicated. It was loud. Because guess what my wife did? My fiery wife. Did you notice what you did after that? I got quieter. She got got quieter. No, she came in and sat down next to me. She wanted to argue more, by the way. Yeah. But she came in and she sat down next to me. And you know what she said? I remember what you said. It's like plastered in my brain. No, she didn't say that. What she did say, though, was, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. And I just sat there and I'm like, praise God. Like, thank you. I think she meant it. Because the rest of the day, she was, she was good. She was calm. So I sit there, though, and I look, and my mindset, now this wasn't manipulation by me. I wasn't sitting there going, I'm going to be quiet so she shuts up. Man, I don't want you to do that. 
But what I do want you to do is understand and know that it does start with you. It really does. Because that could have went sideways real quick. Yeah. I could have been all about, well, you did, and the part of me started doing it. And I stopped. I stopped. Because here's the fact of the matter. When I think about Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, he was accused of many things. How many of you in here remember what he said when he was being accused? He said, nothing. He kept his mouth closed. Now, I'm not saying what my wife was saying wasn't true. If anything, I'm trying to find right? The, the, the gold in the poo-poo, the growth in the poo-poo of what she was flinging at me. Like manure does that, right? For you farmers, it promotes good growth. And she's, I'm like, okay, there's something in there. It's how she felt. I can't take that away from her. She felt like I wasn't listening to her. I, obviously I wasn't. So by being quiet and letting her express that and telling her I was sorry, it made peace. It truly made peace. Once again, the practicality of God's word. Because I know, you know, that man, it's real easy to kill peace. When so-and-so comes to me and says this about me, my flesh screams and goes, I should say this back to them. And then what happens? Something little goes into something bigger. It goes into something bigger. And you're fighting about stuff you don't even know where it came from. And it all started with a freaking cake. I love you. So once again, that, that, that's what I want you guys to stop and go. It starts with us. So after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. Amen. We feed and care for our bodies just as Christ does the church. He feeds and care for his body, his bride. For we are members of his body. For this reason, quote in Genesis 2 here, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will, will become one flesh. Now, I like to talk about this because it's important. I told my wife this. I, I was here. I listened to an interesting sermon this last week um, speaking. This pastor was pretty bold about uh, husbands and giving the, their attention, their due attention to their wife and loving their wives. And, you know, in, in homes many times, especially in our culture, we see this where kids become the focus. Kids become the focus. What's the most important thing in your home? It's the kids. It's the kids. That's not true for you Christians. Under God, the most important person to you is your spouse. It's your husband. It's your wife. That's the best thing that you can do for your kids. I'll never forget Dessa coming up to me a couple years ago. Do you love mommy more than you love me? I'm like, all right, I got to give a good slick answer to this. And I said, sweetie, I love you so much that I love your mommy more. And she stopped and she's like, should I be mad at that? I love my wife in a way that's best for my kids. It truly is. And this pastor has given this great example, and it hit me, it kind of blew up in my head. He goes, when there's an imbalance in the home about love and starting with the man and loving to the wife, what tends to happen is the wife then puts all of her attention, bless you, into the kids. And then he goes on to say something that really made my mind blow. He goes, why do you think moms end up hating their in-laws so much, their in-law children? And I'm like, oh, this is good. I want to hear what he's about to say. He goes, because what happens is, is the love and the attention that the husband should have been given to the wife, the wife then directs then to the kids. And then the kids become the, become the sense of idolship to the mom. So then when someone else comes into the kid's life, and then the kids start giving that love to someone else, the mom feels 
threatened by it. See, mine's being blown right now. Blew my mind. I'm sitting there like, that's actually a pretty good outlook. Because here's the other thing too. In our culture today, many men struggle from breaking away from their parents. I could sit there and say the other way even with women, but I see it a lot. Looking at the wife, you don't make lasagna like mom makes lasagna. You don't make this like my mom used to do. You're one with this woman. You're one with her now. You love her as you would love yourself because remember, no one ever hated himself. They care for themselves. So since I care for myself, I care for my wife because Jesus cared for his body. I have to care for my body, which is in return caring for my wife. This is why we see all this language being used throughout the Bible. It's an imagery of marriage. Christ or the, or the church is the bride of who? Bride of Christ. This is all being lived out in a way in our home. So when you want to love the right way, be the right person to your spouse, you have to follow Christ first. Men, you break away. It's not out of disrespect to the parent. It's out of your love for God. I'm now married. This person that's with me is me and I am them. We are one. They are the most important person in my life. It doesn't mean that I don't love you, mom and dad. But they're mine and I'm theirs. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one. Paul goes on to say, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. I just broke that down for you guys. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, we're going into chapter 6 and this is about children. And I'm going to read through a couple verses here because this is important for us to remember as parents. As I said, we're dedicating babies today. So for you parents, you're going to listen. For fathers, you're going to listen. Because as a church, we could be missing this as well. But for you kids, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life a long life on earth. Kids, I'm sorry to say, this doesn't mean that if you are obeying the fifth commandment, that you're going to have this long, prosperous life on earth. This is speaking more of a societal promise that was given back to the Israelites about kids just having a respect and an honor for their parents. Society was balanced when kids respected and honored their parents. Many of you in here can say, praise God, hallelujah, when I sit there and say that society does not seem to function well when kids don't respect and honor their parents. Am I right? Yeah. But however, Paul is pointing to the leaders, right? Because we can always say it's the kid's fault, right? That's very popular today. These kids are this, these kids are that. And I'm not sitting there saying the kids won't make bad decisions and bad choices and be influenced by society. But as far as you're concerned, it goes back to that as a parent. 
we can't control what our kids are getting involved in when they become adults and go out into the world. What we can dictate and control is how we are to them. My wife and I put the rest a long time ago. We're not responsible for the sins of our kids when they're out there in the world. But we are called to govern those sins while they live in our home. As for me and my house, we'll do what? Serve, Serve the Lord. And a lot of parents go out there with this. Guys, read throughout the Bible. There's a lot of wild families in the Bible. No, no perfect family, just like there's no perfect marriage. Dysfunction is all get out. But as parents, our orders are laid out and pretty simple. So once again, children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, the societal promise, the societal flourishing, okay? So that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Verse 4, some of your translations may say parents, but guess what? The actual word being used there is fathers. He's pointing the finger again at the leaders. And we miss that when we read Scripture. Man, why, is the, why are the men being... You're the leader of the home. What does that mean? I'm not the dictator. Yes, I have an authority in the home. But with that authority comes my call and my responsibility to sacrifice and to love for my family. Because that's what Jesus did for his church. So I have to do that for my bride and my family. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What is he saying here? Some of your translations say provoke, make angry, whatever. This is important. This is basically telling us as men that I am not called to be this overbearing jerk to my child. That the foundation of what I do isn't strictly that of discipline and beating my kids and setting a bunch of rules for them. The most wild people I've seen in my life were the ones that grew up in homes where this was the case. They had rule after rule after rule, discipline after discipline after discipline. But there's no love, there's no grace. There is no mercy. That image that's being displayed as a man, what I'm called to be as to my kid is I'm called to be literally this beautiful image of how God is to his children, to my children. Slow to anger. Quick in mercy. Does God discipline his children? You bet, you bet your buddy does. But our resolve as men cannot start with discipline. And that goes both ways. I see parents where, once again, you see it in the Bible, right? Um, um, spare the rod, spoil the child. We've all heard that before. Some people live now with this sense in this way to where they don't even want to even go down that realm out of fear that they could be abusive to their kids. I believe in spanking your kids. I don't believe in beating them mercifully. You know what I mean? I don't believe that. Either side to me can be detrimental to a kid. A kid needs discipline. They do. 
But they also need a parent that's willing to sit there and to talk to them as well about what's going on in their life, about themselves. And this is what this is meaning. We're not provoking our kids to anger. We're not putting them in a sense, in a way to where they're frustrated with us all the time. Because here's the fact of the matter. If you raise kids in such a way, they'll grow up resenting you. And then the former part that was told to the kid goes way out the window. I can't honor my parents when they raised me the way that they did. But that doesn't mean still with the kids that that commandment's not in place, but it does make it far more difficult for a kid to do to their parents. And I want to go back to that because this is the other part that's important too. We see this a lot in homes where the word honor and obey get misconstrued when it comes between parents and children. And we don't even really know in the Bible what constitutes as a child, what constitutes as an adult. In Jewish tradition, when you were 13 years old, you were deemed a man. So why you would have been a man at 13? Could you imagine that responsibility? You had your bar mitzvah and all that fun stuff. And like, oh, he's a man, oompa, right? Shove him out. Go start a family at 13. Now, I can't sit there and say what, what that age is, but the point of what's being said here is, is that a lot of parents may take that and go, even when my adult children aren't in the home, they should obey everything that I say. But remember what was just being talked about when it comes to husbands and wives being one flesh. This word honor is kind of a marketing term. It means to give the proper weight to. People, as long as you are alive and your parents are alive, you should honor them. What does that mean? It means you should respect them because they're your parents. You should. You shouldn't be disrespectful. You shouldn't be mean. You shouldn't call them bad names. You shouldn't ignore them. You shouldn't treat them like they're the lower rung because they're not in your life as much anymore. They don't matter. I'm not saying that you should be that way to them. But what I also want to stress is it also doesn't mean that you have to be obedient to them. That causes a lot of strife in marriages these days. Because mom and dad are telling their adult children what they should be doing, and the adult children are falling back to that, well, I should obey my parent because they're my mom and dad. Wait a minute. We got a marriage. Wait a minute. We got to go to the Lord and work in these things out. So once again, honor and obedience is there, especially as a child. But when you're grown, especially when you go off and get married, it's about your spouse. Honor your parents. Show them the proper weight. But that's what that's speaking to and what that's about. And then going on here, I'll just finish out through verse 5 or verse five and through about slaves. Obey your earthly masters. Yes, there were slaves in Christian households. But once again, this was something that was being expressed and talked about because it's something for us, even as people today, that we can read as, let's say, Christian employees at jobs, how we should be in our jobs. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So once again, we're doing everything that we do out of obedience and reverence for Christ. And I hear people say it all the time when it comes to their jobs. Many of you in here don't have Christian jobs, right? They're secular jobs. They're not necessarily being ran by Christian organizations. But as far as you're concerned, how should you live? should live with a respect towards those people that are over you, out of your reverence for the Lord. 
Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And then there's this call for masters. And once again, I've heard a lot of theologians and commentary use this in regards to Christian employers. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. Are we picking up what's being put down here when it comes to the Christian household? When it comes to how we should be as Christians. So as we now are bringing babies up, which we will do here for you parents, the layout's there. Men, the layout is there for us in regards to the calling that we have and how we are to raise our children, how we are to be to our wives. And as my wife and I just beautifully displayed, no marriage is perfect. We just got in a little fight yesterday. But we... Yeah, I didn't listen. But we press on, we pursue who? Christ. He is the focus. Husbands, he is the focus. Wives, he is the focus. When he becomes the focus, there should be a default action and where we are working to just simply submit and fall under one, to one another. This is what servant leadership is. People see that as contradicting. No, servant leadership. I'm leading through my service, obedience, and submission to you. Amen? So we're going to be bringing some kids in. Is that what Raya is going to do right now is to go grab them? And I will go ahead and have parents go ahead and stand up front here too. Is that Dax? I think so. Oh.